gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it might be when you're listening, and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast by underagastlitlamp.com. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark. Hey, what's going on guys? It is Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Oh man, there's, there's there's a little bit of talk about, man, but are, are you bored with the international break too? Because I'm dying over here without any like Premier League football to watch. I mean... Yeah, I'm I'm struggling. Uh, I, I'm generally not a big fan of qualification games or friendlies in terms of the international setup. But I, I watched the game yesterday. Um, by the time this goes out, it'll have been two days ago. But um, yeah, I only really watched it to hopefully get a, a view of Mings in an England shirt. But obviously that didn't that didn't come off. Um, but it was it was it's it's been made a little bit better by the fact that uh, Aston Villa women had their game on Sunday. Yeah, they looked really, really good against Blackburn. Playing at Villa Park too, you can't get enough of that. Uh, it was I got to watch the game. Um, thankfully to Regan, he was able to let me know that uh, there's an FA player for the uh, women's football online for a select game, so I was able to watch it. So if any of you guys want to watch the game, you can go ahead and back and check that on, on the FA site. Um, yeah, it was a really good game. It looked really good. I mean, it wasn't even just like one or two players. The entire team looked, looked pretty fantastic against Blackburn, and Blackburn's not a bad side at all, Regan. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to expect going into the game. Um, I, I, well, I didn't know what to expect from, uh, from from Blackburn. That is, I knew what to expect from from Villa, but um, yeah, I, I didn't expect such a dominant performance from Aston Villa. And um, you know, Black, Blackburn started quite nervously, if I'm honest. Um, Melissa Johnson, who, who's on fire, uh, going into this game, she had three goals and an assist under her belt. Um, had a really early chance, uh, but the, the Blackburn keeper did pretty well to save uh, what was basically a one-on-one opportunity. Um, but there was there was just something something quite good about the, the press that Aston Villa women were undertaking, um, and it it kind of made Blackburn look look a bit uneasy and a bit unsure of themselves, especially in their own half. Yeah, it definitely played a part. Um, the press, and I, I don't know if it's it's Gemma Davies tactically. I'm sure it has a bit to do with it, but I think the players that are forward for the Villa women, uh, the press just did so well. Like you even even talk about, um, you know, players like Melissa Johnson. Uh, she was pressing the entire game, even when it like those hopeless balls that kind of just roll back to the opposition keeper, and you know, you know the keeper's about to grab it. You know, you know, you know it's about to be a pretty much a restart and play. Melissa Johnson, she was moving. She was running right toward the keeper almost every single time that happened. And um, it, it's good to see that kind of press and that kind of style. It's not everybody's cup of tea, um, but it, it definitely worked. And it definitely put Blackburn on the back back foot a little bit. There were times where it seemed they were overpressing just a little bit, but I think that's okay. I think that's pretty much the style you're going to see from this Gemma Davies team. Um, it's worked so far earlier in the season that you know they've now gotten three wins from three. 
so you can't be too mad about that. But the pressing's very similar. I mean, we, I, I don't like to compare the women's side and the men's side, but the pressing for the Villa women kind of reminds me of like a Tottenham a little bit to where when the ball gets back to the opposition back line, it's almost like the wingers kind of like diagonally move in and the strikers forward to kind of put the pressure. But you got to know when to press, when not to press, you know, all that kind of thing. It's all situational, really. But yeah, that, that press was working really well for, for the Villa women at Villa Park. Yeah, and I mean, it caused Blackburn to give up, you know, swathes of possession within their own half. Um, and it, it, it took it took a decent amount of the game, considering the dominance, for, for Villa to get the first goal. Um, the ball fell to Marissa Ewers um, from from where I was sitting, the left on the left-hand side of the box. Um, and she, she, she did really well to kind of turn away from the, the defender that was on her a couple of times before uh, pretty much going to, going to the line and playing a ball into the box. And uh, Melissa Johnson finished it first time. Um, yeah, you can't and, be you know, that kind the, of... The, the, I, I was going to say, you can't be that kind of awareness from viewers. Like, that's one of those things that, like... I wasn't expecting that twist and turn. She almost looked like Jonathan Codge out there a little bit, the way she twists, turned, then turned around and, and got it into the box for Johnson. It, it was a really good play. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I didn't really expect it from from me. It was, you know, the, from from what I've seen of the Aston Villa women, you know, the, the, the players that you, you expect to be, uh, you know, the, the tricky ones to, to deal with defensively are the likes of uh, Sophie Haywood. You know, she's, she's quite famously... Um, Enjoy enjoys a step over or two, um, and there'll be a couple of them uh, available in our highlights. You'll you'll more than likely see when they when they get released. But um, you know, Marissa Ruiz is uh, is by trade uh, like a deep lying midfielder, and um, you know she's she's a veteran by by all means in terms of this squad. You know she's thirty years old, um, but she she she. Almost rolled back the ears and looked looked like an almost you know Jodie Hutton esque, uh, Sophie Hayward esque player um, to get away from the Blackburn defender. And you need that kind of individual brilliance, you know. And you don't always think it's going to happen from a player that may sit in a deep lying uh, like playmaker, you know, midfielder kind of position. But it really, really worked to perfection on that that particular play. And you'd love to see players you know rise to the occasion a little bit and they might do things a little bit out of a character whenever you're playing in such a, a bigger place such as Villa Park and I think that's what it really was I think a lot of the women were really like up for this game they really really like enjoy playing at Villa Park and they really had something to prove they wanted to show what they were about they knew they were getting somewhat of a decent crowd um, obviously they're not packing Villa Park like the men's team does but that's okay they still got a lot of people that came on uh, the previous Sunday to watch them play at Villa Park so I think that's a great thing, and I I hope that um you know that that vein goes forward that they're starting to get the attention they deserve because these players are really good. I mean, even, not even just the Blackburn game, like there's you know the other two games and then the preseason, like they've looked really really good. There's actually really talented athletes for the Aston Villa women. Yeah, and I mean, what one of those uh one of those players nearly doubled the lead like literally within a few minutes, um, and that's Emma Follis who. I believe is uh, one of the few players in the Aston Villa squad who is who is considered professional. Um, so I believe we paid for her for her transfer, and I believe she's paid, you know, like like a wage. Um, and she had a she had a decent attempt. Um, she cut inside 
from the right and fired a shot and unfortunately was denied by the crossbar. And she was she was doing that for a lot of the game, you know, cutting in from the, from from the outside. Um, even when she was, you know, swapping swapping positions with with Sophie Haywood, um, you know, they'd they'd chop and change whether they were on the left or the right wing. And um, you know, d- d- despite the change in position, Emma Follis was. You know, cutting inside and firing towards goal whenever uh, whenever the opportunity arose, um, and really she she ran the show for a lot of the first half and really put in quite a performance. Yeah, she was wonderful against Blackburn. She really was. Emma Follis, you know, my hat goes off to her because she was doing all. She was so she was so determined in that game that her other teammates, to me at least, it looked like her other teammates knew that she was like playing up a little bit and she was like really really up for the fight in this game to try and get three points and they were like trying to find her on the pitch and I noticed a lot more in the second half whenever she was on the left hand side that they were trying to find her the ball whenever they could even if it was a big lofty through ball that maybe uh, Fallis had to you know have a little bit of pace to get forward but you love to see that that's modern football you know it's not just tick you know tick attack you know pass it throughout the back and you know slowly come forward anything like that it was it was all systems go for Emma Fallis and for me that that was my woman of the match I I think that she was she was causing problems she made the defense of Blackburn look really uneasy and it, it was through the simple things like the pressing or the simple passes and then the movement off the ball and if you can make an impact in a game just by your movement on and off the ball that that's going to be great for your team yeah and i mean she found she found herself in loads of favorable positions um you know there was there was a chance for her just after just after the second half started um but the ball just wasn't kind in the way it bounced for her and she ended up firing over over the goal um but you know i was going to say did you notice when she put that over the goal that there was like an audible scream I noticed that when I was yeah. watching the game back, she like it was a scream like that. That kind of I think it kind of pissed her off a little bit to miss that chance because she was she was pretty open, but the ball just bounced on her awkwardly. But I, I again I, I've said it in previous podcasts I love that show of emotion on the pitch as long as it's in a positive way. And you know she had a little bit of angst after that botched attempt and ne- needed to get it out. I, I don't know. I saw her scream and I was like, oh man, she is not happy about that. Well, yeah, she was she was like pretty much in front of the box, in front of the whole tent, and I was. I was towards the uh, far left of the Trinity, and I, I heard her scream. Um, you know, she like lifted her top up in frustration, like threw it back down. Um, you know, she was visibly frustrated at the fact that she, she hadn't, you know, had perhaps made the most of, of the chances that had fallen to her. Um, but you know, she she wasn't the only player that performed well. Um, you know, in, in the fifty fourth minute, I think it was. Um, you know, Villa grabbed their second, um, and it, it was the result of some great build-up play. Um, the the right back Ella Franklin Frazier um, t- almost turned to her opponent, um, and then found Amy West making a run forward into the box. And Amy West, you know, she didn't hit it quite first time, but it, you know, it was it was relatively soon after you know she found herself in possession. Um, and she just glides a pass over into the box, and Marissa Ewers, who obviously set up the first goal, um, much like Melissa Johnson, um, fires it first time, um, you know, straight into the back of the net. And you know, you you mentioned that Follis was your your player of the of the game, and Marissa was mine. Um, you know, I think despite the fact that you know there's a lot of quality in this team, Marissa almost showed what she was about uh, at Villa Park. Oh, she for sure showed what she was about, and she's a talented player. And you said she might be one of the older players in the squad, but you can tell just by her passing, and then and then just um like relentless 
on, on the ball. I, it was it was like constantly trying to trying to find a way to wiggle the ball away from Blackburn, and Blackburn didn't even have the ball much through the entirety of the game. I mean, I'm not sure of the possession numbers, but just you know, as a bird's eye view by watching the game, it just seemed like they were always struggling with Ewers trying to get around the park a little bit. They just didn't really know how to break that midfield down. Um, but yeah, for the second women women's goal. Uh, against Blackburn, I thought the build-up play was immense. Like you, you uh, mentioned, Ella Franklin, and I just—that's the simple, the simplicity of being able to beat a defender and then find a player who's making a run is not an easy thing. It doesn't matter which league you play in. It doesn't matter what, you know, where you're playing, who you're playing. That the simple things add up to big things, and I think the the through ball to Ella Franklin to find Amy West was. Again, really simple, super simple ball, but it's important. You need to do that. Um, And then Amy West was another one that was just running around all day long. So, yeah, she took a touch and then glides it over to Ewers. But, man, like that pattern of play and that buildup and just the confidence they have on the ball – like all of that was just so telling to me. Like I'm, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, wow, this team's so, so talented. Like you can see the little sparks of talent. Every, you know, every second or third pass it was just the, the, a touch of class on the ball, or making a run forward, or you know, knowing when to get back defensively. I love seeing that. And it's not me saying that to like look down on the women's game whatsoever. But there are teams in the league, even in Villa's league, that don't play football that way. And that's, that's just the facts. And to see, you know, Gemma Davies being a young coach and forward thinking and wanting to get the ball in certain areas and the players seem to have bought into that. It's such a cool thing to see for, for any team, but especially for the Aston Villa women. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they, they took a 2-0 lead um, relatively early into the second half. Um, and, you know, we, with so much of the game left to play, you know, two, a 2-0 lead is one of the hardest to, to defend. Um, and pretty much out of nowhere, like directly after the uh, the the second goal from Villa, Blackburn found a way back into the game. Um, Sean Rogers found herself slightly off a line, and Alex Taylor lobbed lobbed the keeper from from range. Uh, I actually missed this goal because I was watching um, I was watching the cameraman's recording of Marissa Ewer's goal in uh, in slow motion. And uh, literally, I just heard like you know a couple of groans, and I turned, and like Blackburn were away celebrating. I was like, Jesus! So I had to I had to catch up with what was going on there. Um, but you know that that was really one of the only two or three times that Sean Rogers was was you know really tested by Blackburn. Um, but on the other side of the pitch, Blackburn's keeper Franz Denson was was you know she found herself busy for the majority of the game. Uh, it seemed like Stenson didn't stop working. It seemed like she was working harder than than her midfield was at certain points of the game. It's no disrespect to the rest of the Blackburn players. They didn't have a great showing. But Stenson looked, uh, she was very, very busy. There was a lot of shit. This could have easily been a 6 or 7-1 game. Easily. It could have easily been. And even the goal that, that the Villa women gave up, I, I just think that was a case of Alex Taylor just being like, oh, just chuck it on goal, see what happens. And it, it paid off. You know, it's unfortunate for Sean Rogers. She's a great keeper. She really is. Um, but yeah, I think this was more of a case of Blackburn got numbers forward. Alex Taylor looks up, maybe sees Rogers off her line just a little bit. It wasn't a lot. She wasn't like out, out in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't like, I don't think anybody really switched off. I think it was just one of those things where, uh, an individual player took a chance and it happened to fall in the net. And yeah, it's, it was a gorgeous goal. You know, it was a lobbed, you know, goal over the top of the keeper in the back of the net and you don't you don't want ever want to see you know the team you support give up a goal so quickly after scoring one themselves I think it was just a little bit of a a mental lapse and I think a little bit of luck played into that strike if you ask me but 
still, you know, the Villa women, uh, they didn't get their heads down at all after the goal was scored. And you you see that a lot as well whenever you're dominating a game and then maybe a team finds an unlikely way to get back into it. You see heads drop. I actually thought at the restart after Blackburn scored their goal, they actually like raised it up a, a notch and raised up the, the pressure and the press up top just a little bit more. And I, I, you love to see that. That it shows a lot of character from the Villa women. Yeah, and like you said earlier, it was um, you know it was a game that could have quite easily finished you know five six seven one. Um, Amy Chest had a few. Amy Chest, Amy West had a few chances uh, denied uh, by the Blackburn keeper, and uh, Sharnia Hales, who came on as a sub, hit the post pretty late on. Um, but really, the, the the big talking point of the game after Blackburn's goal uh, happened in in added time. And um, Blackburn had three corners in a row. Um, and on the third corner, uh, Kayla McDonald for for Blackburn headed a ball on target. And, and Sean Rogers pulled off like a really spectacular save. Um, and it, it, it saved the game for Villa, really. It prevented the equaliser and, you know, Villa went, went away from Villa Park with, with all three points. Yeah, if Rodgers doesn't make that save, that's that's a drawn game, and that's something where Gemma Davies was not going to be too pleased going back into the room if she had to watch her team, you know, basically blow up a two nil lead. It was a great, great save, and Blackburn really did push at the end of the game. They were really trying to fi- figure out a way um, to, you know, to draw it up and basically still points off Villa, but uh, exceptional save from Rodgers. You can't say enough about it. A- athletic, the agility's there. Uh, the thing I like about Rogers the most, she commands her area. So you see the the concession of corners that happen. You know, you said three in a row, and like as it's happening, like she's looking around and almost not physically placing people, but you can tell that there's some sort of you know communicative authority there that she was talking and people were listening. You get that with keepers sometimes where you see a keeper where he talks and no one's looking at him. Their, their heads are completely the other direction looking at a man. No, as as the corners are being taken, people are listening to Rogers as she speaks and as she's talking about what she's looking for. It's a great thing. You love to see that kind of teamwork. But yeah, Blackburn almost, almost stole points there at Villa Park. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But, you know, we, we've highlighted, you know, a couple of players, but really it was a team effort. And there's there's so many important important players uh, in, within the system, you know. Um, I think both of the both of the fullbacks in in Gemma Davis's system are, are relatively important. Um, both Ella Franklin Frazier and uh, Asmita Arle um, have. I don't think they've missed a minute of football so far. I've granted it's three games in, but um, they're they're both so important to to the attacking phase as well as the defensive phase. Um, you know they're, they're they're quite adept at their overlaps, and especially when you've got the likes of you know uh, Emma Follis and and Sophie Haywood in front of them. You know it's something that's working really well for Villa. Um, but as, as well as that, you've got Alicia and who last season made her hundredth appearance for the club, I believe, and um, she obviously captained the, the side to a win at Villa Park and. On the ball, she she reminds me so much of of Tyrone Mings. You know, there's very similar, there's, there's like such similarities in the way that they play. Um, but something I did what I did want to bring up is I, I don't know whether it's you know the the new um, the new arrivals for the Aston Villa women, or it's a case of not being 100 percent fit, or I'm not entirely sure. But um, Jade Richards has has been on the bench an awful lot, and she's almost like like for like um experiencing what what James Chester's going through at the moment you know uh she was captain 
last season, and and this season she's she's found herself, you know, on the bench, relegated to the bench, and I, I don't know whether it's because of lack of fitness, lack of you know performance in training, but Natalie Haig's getting the nod ahead of her. It's I think it's one of those um, unfortunate parts of football to where you get some players in and the coach might have a belief in the new players that are coming in and you just drop to the bench and there really isn't anything that you may have done wrong to get dropped, but it's just the thing of, Hey, there's some investment going on here. There's might be some new financials. Uh, the, the women's team, you know, obviously got a little bit uh, financially secure over the summer with bringing in these players. So I, th- I think in her case, it was maybe a, I don't know if it's, I'd even consider it a drop as maybe just like a preference type thing. Uh, it's a long season, and, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I think that that falls under the unfortunate aspects that no one wants to talk about in football where you may have you may have to fight back for your place. Not saying that she'll be dropped and she's not going to make any starts the rest of the season or anything like that. But, that, you know, that's a it's a tricky thing. So I, I, I don't know. I'd like to see more games. I'd like to see the women, and, you know, obviously I will be watching as much as I can. And, you know, keeping tabs on them as much as I can over here in the States. But for me, it's almost the same thing as Villa to where I want to see it about 8 to 10 to 12 games in. Then I can get a good barometer of exactly what's going on, what areas need improved, what, you know, I would like to see more of. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, the, the the Villa women going into this, this weekend uh, unbeaten so far. They're, they're matching Durham like for like who are also unbeaten. Um, but Gemma Davis was awarded Manager of the Month uh, for August, and obviously uh, the the winner against Bra- against Blackburn Rovers came in September. So she was awarded that for the two comebacks against uh, the London City Lionesses and Sheffield United Women. There's something about Gemma Davies. I I can't put my finger on it. I think she's a fantastic coach in the games that I've seen with her at the helm. Uh, the team's very well organized. It seems very cliche for people to say that, but it really is. The team itself looks organized. They didn't have, you know, she didn't have, you know, incredible, incredible time, you know, get, getting her way into the job uh, last season. A little bit of hiccups and things like that. That's natural. She's a very young coach, but I do have a belief in her and I do think she's going to take this team around or, you know, to get promoted. I think that's something that they're looking at. And I think that's something that's tangible, especially, you know, winning three games, you know, to open the season, obviously, you know, optimism is going to be at its peak, but I think it should be. I, I think that all, all signs point towards that way. I think she's a fantastic coach. I think her tactics are, are, are really nice, especially for the, the league she's playing and being in the championship and whatnot. So let, let's hope it kicks on. I think it's well-deserved. Um, I was surprised actually, when I looked at some of the, um, some of the stuff about her getting the award, there were some fans from other uh, other clubs that were like, oh, no, she doesn't deserve it. This one deserves it and everything. And I was like, oh, man, I, I love it when other other clubs' fans chime in and they're a little bit salty about about awards. It kind of just get that little bit of pride. Like, no, she's Villa, and, and she's going to take this team to where it needs to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, is, is there anything else you want to discuss about about the, the women before before we move on? I wanted to touch on what you were talking about, the fullbacks. Um, Ali, she is the youngest fullback, right? On the, the um, what is she seventeen or eighteen? Um, Smeet Ali. I, I think I thought she I thought she was a lot younger, like really really young. She she is I believe seventeen or eighteen. I think I think she yeah. might be the same age as as Jodie Hutton. I am I am aware that she was doing exams over the summer, so that means either GCSEs or or A levels, which means she's 16, 17 or eighteen. 
Right. I think she had a really, really strong performance against Blackburn as Meet Ali. I really do think she did. Um, I think that's kind of the way forward for, for the uh, Villa team to have these youngsters like a Jody Hutton, like an Azmita Ali in the team. I love that. And um, she definitely had a really strong game. And maybe not like, I don't think she did anything that really like set her apart like from, from the pack or anything, but it, it was strong. And I love seeing younger players get a nod. And I love seeing younger players um, just look comfortable. She, there was never like a panicky thing against against Blackburn. You know, I'm sure she'll have games where she doesn't look, you know, as calm. And you're going to have you know different things as the season rolls on. But I I love the fullbacks of the Aston Villa women. I think they do such a good job, especially in that system that Gemma Davies wants them to play in. And long may it continue. Yeah, completely. I, I mean, I was impressed from what I saw against Blackburn and Sheffield uh, Sheffield United women. I thought, you know. Defensively, they're both sound, and uh, you know, offensively, that they they can't they contribute to you know the, the push forward. Yeah, that, that's another thing for me. Like people don't understand the modern day fullbacks. At least I think that people don't really get a good grasp on it. Like it's it's not just running forward and throwing a cross, and you know, and you see that because you have all these really really talented fullbacks in the upper echelon teams in England. But like being able to stick in a tackle, being able to know when not to run forward, knowing when to cut inside to help your midfield out. Those are important things for the modern day fullback. It's not just running forward and crossing the ball or trying to beat somebody with pace. You got to have some tactical and defensive awareness as well. And I think the Aston Villa women have that in buckets. Yeah, for sure. Um, but let's let's move on. Let's let's talk about the the next game for the men's side. And that's West Ham at Villa Park. Um, West Ham have gotten off to a, a pretty decent start to their Premier League season. Um, they started it off with a 5-0 scrubbing. Um, and then since then they've won twice and drawn once. Um, you know, I, I, I think going, you know, before the season, I thought West Ham we'd be able to pick points from. But from, from their start so far, I think there'll be a definite challenge for Villa in this game. I think so too. I'm not very confident about this one. I think West Ham's just doing a little bit more than people realize. Uh, I did some stat digging as I usually always do. Uh, so in all their games combined this season in the Premier League, and granted it is an early season, so the numbers are going to be a little bit skewed, but they haven't had any, any less than an 81% total team passing accuracy. They pass the ball really, really well. And, and, and it's, you know, it seems like that's a stat that doesn't really matter. It really, really does. You know, the more you're able to have successive passes, the more you're able to get in the final third, the final third to the goal, dangerous areas, key passes. You're talking about all these things that come into play. So West Ham definitely passes the ball well, and most of those passes are coming from their midfield area a little bit. But they also have a, a goal scorer who's just – and even for an early season, he, he three goals from three, Sebastian Holler. Uh, actually, is that is that the is that the best English way to pronounce this? Is it Haller or is it Halla? I believe the correct pronunciation is Sebastian Allaire. Allaire. See, yeah, I would have never, I would have never got that. He's French, isn't he? So he he is French. Yes, it'd be Allaire. Yeah, I got you in that one. But yeah, he's had three goals in his past three games for the Hammers, and every single one of them goals have come inside the penalty area. Um, do you think Mings and Ingles are going to have? Uh, success against a, I guess, a quote-unquote fox in the box style, style player because this is really the first one they're coming up against. Well, you know, um, Allaire is is pretty much you know West Ham's Wesley. Um, you know, he's he's the the uh, record signing. He's the one that's got all the weight on his shoulders, and you know, I, I would probably say that 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 West Ham striker has, has probably started his life in the Premier League a, a lot stronger than. Than Wesley has, um, 
but obviously there's there's a different in age, difference in age and experience and so forth. Um, but I, I think I think Mings and Engels will be able to to keep Alaire quiet. Um, I think it's the midfield that that really uh, that we've got to look out for. You know, the likes of uh, Felipe Anderson, um, Manuel Lenzini, uh, Yarmolenko. Uh, you know, pl- players like that that I, I think they're going to pose the real threat to uh, to Villa. Yeah, I think it's all going to come down to how you stop players like Yarmolenko and Lanzini and Felipe Anderson. Um, I'm I'm not. I don't know. Haller kind of he he just kind of makes me feel like he, he's what we wanted Wesley to be. I mean, you just briefly touched on that, but I I kind of feel that the same way. Uh, we actually have a question about about this uh, specific talking point. Uh, our friend John Bing on Twitter asked us, "Do you think our fullbacks Gilbert and Taylor are up to task of nullifying West Ham's pacey wingers and Anderson and Yarmolenko to minimize the amount of chances created for Haller? Uh, could easily be caught on the break if he pushed them high." I. I completely understand that train of thinking. I think that Gilbert, um, if he's going to get to start against West Ham, he's got to get pulled to the side and maybe told like, hey, don't press forward or don't press up the pitch so, so high. And that's kind of Gilbert's bread and butter. He likes to be up and down that entire right-hand side of the pitch, but I'm not sure if that's going to work against West Ham. Uh, how do you th- how do you feel about it with the fullback selection going in? I think I think Gilbert is the probably the, the the best option for 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 right back, and I think Taylor's probably the best option for left back. Um, I think you know defensively we we've touched upon this. Taylor's done done nothing wrong this season, and I think uh, Gilbert is is more of a you know a hard tackler. He's he's more how do I put it? He He's got more desire to to win the ball than than perhaps uh, Al Mohammadi would do in in his position, um, and I think it's that desire that'll that'll see us well. And if we manage to grab grab points um, against West Ham, I think it will be because of players like Gilbert. I think so too, and I I wouldn't be surprised if you see Gilbert kind of pick up another yellow early in the game just to kind of let whoever's he's matched up against that like he's there. You know, I, I don't know. Gilbert just comes off to me like the type of guy that he's not going to be intimidated and he's not going to let anyone run past him without getting a little something out of it. Um, he still needs work on his on his defense a little bit or defense. Sorry, uh, for me, uh, you know, he's he's great forward and he has shown glimpses of being great defensively as well. But when you're coming against pacey wingers such as West Ham, and that's kind of the mo for most uh, upper, you know, even mid to upper tier teams in the Premier League is just pace, pace, pace all the time. And he has it. We know the guy can run. We've seen him. He has, he has some pretty explosive acceleration. But for me, I just think that. If if Gilbert does play this game, he's gonna have to be. It's gonna have to be both sides of the ball. It can't just be you know really good at one or really good at the other. He, I, I would even take him being average as long as it's spread out between the two phase. You know between the three phases of play. So I, I'm not about saying that Al needs to start this game. I like him coming off the bench because he can play you know right wing and he can play at right back. So I I don't know. There's there's other things for West Ham to consider too. Their their midfield, as you touched on, is not bad at all. They've been favoring Mark Noble and Declan Rice um, as the holding midfielders, and, and Rice is really good. But he just came off international duty. Do you think Rice sits the game? Do you think he comes on off the bench, or do you think he's going to keep him going? Well, he played he played I, I, as far as I can remember the full ninety minutes against Kosovo, um, and you know he's he's done well for West Ham so far. He'll he'll be missed if he doesn't play. He's made nineteen interceptions um, for West Ham. 
So, I think I think if he does uh, does find himself on the bench, then uh, then um, Villa's midfield need to try and control the game a bit more. You know, the likes of probably Douglas Luiz, um, McGinn, and, and Grealish need to try and take the game towards towards West Ham centrally. And you know, Noble's aging. He's still he's still fit as a fiddle, but. You know he's he's aging, and if if they have to replace Royce with someone else, um, then you know this is this is where where Villa could capitalise. Um, but at the same time, um, I think um, I think against Norwich, uh, their left back Arthur Masawaku was their man of the match, and he's um, he's been brought up a couple of times this season so far because he's his attacking output is really high, but his defensive um is 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 not great so if you know if we're playing uh, hotter hotter really needs to be on his a game to make the most of you know a defensive lapse from Masawaku perhaps yeah i thought the same thing i i think that um he overlaps really really well i watched a lot of his key touches and uh key phases of play from Masaku. um he he just it's not that he's bad defensively. It just seems that whenever he's on one-on-one situations, he forgets that he's playing the game of football. And that may seem like it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but it's the truth. Uh, he he kind of tackles sloppily, if that makes sense. He kind of kind of puts in sloppy tackles a little bit. They kind of seem like they're a little uh, lackluster. He's not definitive within his challenges. He's kind of more just like hoping something happens. So it, a bit like Alan Hutton. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like Alan Hutton, where, where it, it feels like he... It's either he's putting a tackle in 100% and he's going through somebody or he's trying to make a tackle and he gets turned inside out. And if the Gilbert-Hada partnership can find a way to exploit that, even if it's you know minimally throughout the game, that, that's going to come up spades for Villa. Uh, Villa's going to have to find a way through here. It would be a big, big thing, at least for me. It's just my opinion that Villa actually find a way to win against West Ham. I just think with everything we talked about with... I mean, Lanzini just... Or, sorry, not Lansing, uh Pellegrini, Manuel Pellegrini, the, the head coach for West Ham. He has this team just playing like a song, basically, right now. You know, you talk about Declan Rice. Does he come off the bench? Does he start? If Declan Rice starts on the bench, I I really do think that it gives Villa a much, much better time. You know, I think they're going to have much more success in the game. Um, just looking at Rice's stats, you know, it's, it's just me doing this just now. He's got an 87.6% uh, passing accuracy. That's outrageous. Take that off any, you know, football team. They're, they're going to uh, lack a little bit. He's got 85.7% successful dribbles. Um, so the, he's playing well. You know, he's playing really well. But again, he played 90 minutes versus Kosovo. So you don't know if, if he's actually going to get the nod or not. But I think. I hate to say that one person decides a game and I'm not saying the exclusion of Declan Rice makes Villa automatically win this game three or four nil, but I definitely think it gives Villa a better chance. If you take someone who's that productive and that much of a cog in the machine away, I just think it's obvious that Villa might have a better chance to get something out of the game. Yeah, I guess so. And you know, you, you've got to put, um, put into perspective as well. You know, if he, if he's, if he's played for, for England, uh, you, you've got to look at the likes of Mings and Heat and it will have been, you know, uh, training for for much of the uh, much of the the, the week the, of the international break, and neither of them have received any game time, so they'll be raring to go for this this West Ham game. Um, you know, I don't think it's a negative that neither of them got game time. You know, I'd have liked to have seen them play, but 
at the same time, they're, they're going to be fresh, they're going to be raring to go, and they're going to be raring to prove to um, Gareth Southgate that they, they deserve a, a, a spot in the starting eleven. Yeah, and I got in a little bit of a heated debate with a friend of mine. He's not even a Villa supporter. He supports Arsenal for whatever reason that anyone would ever do that to themselves. But we got into the thing, and I was telling him about how proud I am of you know Mings and Heaton got to call him. He was like, well, it doesn't matter because they didn't play. And I was like, that's a little bit of a weird opinion. I was like, how do, how do you get that one? He was like, well, if, he, if they're not playing, that means they're not in the plans. I was like, that doesn't mean that at all. I think it's a beautiful thing for Heaton and Mings to be around, around the England camp. I, I think that means a lot. I mean, for Mings to get there with his whole story, you know, and just, you know, obviously he's working out with the best of the best, you know, that the England squad isn't full of bums, you know, these are really good players and he's, you know, he's having to defend the likes of like Raheem Sterling for, for, you know, however much time the international break was. Is that a bad thing? Who, who gathers that that's a bad thing? I love that. I hope Raheem Sterling ran Tyron Mings almost ragged. I do. I, I think that's something you need. And the same thing with Heaton too. Heaton's not just standing around, you know, getting water for people. He's not just, a, you know, he's not just carrying the water out. He's actually doing things. They're actually in training. So even though neither, uh, neither Villa player got any time, any time for England through Euro 2020 qualifiers, I'm okay with that. I think it gives Southgate, like you said, a chance to get to know Mings a little bit more. Uh, obviously he'll be a little bit uh, more familiar with Heaton, but I think Tyron Mings is definitely in the conversation for being, uh, uh, an England player, it's just give it some time, you know, and it's going to be okay. But I don't know the claim of that. It doesn't matter. And I can't believe they didn't get starts. And I can't believe this can't believe that I, I, I can believe it. It's only two games. Uh, we'll see what happens next month. You never know. Ming, Minks can be standing next to Harry Maguire at the heart of the England defense before you know it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've had a couple of questions, Mark. Do you want to, do you want to go through those? Ah, sure. Yeah, we'll start off with my guy, uh, Guy Poxon, uh, for Under a Gaslit Lamp. He's one of our writers. We absolutely love him to death, Guy. How you doing, buddy? I hope everything's good. Uh, are West Ham more of a threat than Everton were on paper? I think that Villa have actually been better against the stronger opposition anyway, and I also think that uh, Wesley plus Anwar El Ghazi can cause their defense, in particular, a few problems. Guy, I agree that West Ham look more of a threat than Everton did on paper. Um, again, I... I'm a little anxious about the West Ham fixture. I don't know where we're going to break them down at, but again, everything's all circumstantial. Uh, how do you feel about it? Do you think that uh, West Ham look a little bit more dangerous than Everton did? Oh, yeah. At the time that we played Everton, though, they they were struggling to score goals, um, and you know they they kind of picked up a little bit after that. You know, that I think they they beat Wolves three two. Um, but I think they were just having a, bit, a, a few teething problems, perhaps Everton, whereas West Ham seemed to have got rid of those almost uh, quite early on after their five uh, nil defeat at the start of the season. So I, I, do, I do think we can cause them problems, and I, I could possibly see us nicking a draw from from West Ham, but I think we will struggle to win. Yeah, I would I would take a draw right now. If you offered me a draw against West Ham, I'll take it. I just think it's going to be a little bit of a. I think it's going to be a lot tougher than people think, and I think you're still getting a little bit of the, I guess, blind optimism from this past summer. I think a lot of people are still like, oh yeah, we're going to crush West Ham. Yeah, you got you got to you got to temper the expectations a little bit. This team's still gelling, and it seems like you know people are still talking. Oh, well, I'm winning for all that kind of nonsense. I don't want to hear that. There's there's a lot of things going on. I think there's more positives right now with Aston Villa than negatives. People just need to just temper their expectations just a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had another question from Dean Caffrey who said. If you had to give our season so far marks out of 10 in terms of just performances, what would it be? 
Um, I think personally, I'd give it a five. I think it's too early to to get off the fence, as it were. Um, I think we've had spells of brilliance, and I think we've had spells of like really poor play. Um, so yeah, I think I think I'd say a five, maybe a push a six. Um, I think there's a lot more to come from this Villa side, and I think you know we'll we'll see um, in between this 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 international break and the next international break. So within the next you know couple of weeks, we'll we'll probably see a bit more than we expect to see from Villa. But I still think um, that so far the, the, we could have been better. Yeah, I think this team could have played a lot. Could have played miles better. I just think that it's a. a Still, you're still gelling. You're still getting to know things. There's guys that are still trying to learn exactly what Dean Smith wants to see from his system. And, you know, another thing is the strength of the opposition we face. We didn't face, like, terrible, terrible teams. I mean, people are still sour about the Bournemouth result, but I think that's kind of just what it is. You're going to have that. It's it's growing pains, you know. It's just the creakiness of, of walking on the floor that hasn't been walked on in a long time. You're going to get the creaks and you're going to get the moans and groans a little bit. Uh, for me, I'd probably say the same thing, probably about 5.5 to 6. Uh Crystal Palace results still kind of makes me feel a little uneasy, but we didn't play the, our best. And regardless of what happened in that game, Villa didn't play their best. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give a 5.5 to six. I, I, again, still, still need a little bit of time for me to really, really rank how this, how this season's going. Yeah. I think, I think if we get asked that question in a month's time, we'll be able to give a more definitive answer. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be a lot more, astute in my answer of how our our season's going or where do you see it going after like I said 10 to 12 games I'd be a a lot more comfortable answering that Um, are there any more questions Uh, yeah we had one uh, from the co-chairman of the Pittsburgh Lions Club my buddy Adam Stokes Uh, I just happened to text him and be like hey man do you have a question for the podcast and he was like oh yeah so his question is when are we getting under a gaslit lamp merchandise shirts scarves coasters stickers that came with the magazine this past summer anything at all I don't know, Regan. What, where do you stand on the whole merch thing? I, we've talked about it a little bit, but never, never really got anything bolted down. Yeah, we've talked about it. Um, I think there needs just to be to be interest in it. I guess um, if if you're, you'd be interested in anything like that, you know, uh, scarves, uh, hoodies, coasters, stickers, etc., etc. Um, just give us a mention on Twitter, I guess. Um, you know, if 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 I don't hear anything from from people within the next week, I might run a poll or something to see if I can get a more of a perspective of, of whether people would buy stuff or not. Um, but I think I think it's a case of perhaps not. It it shouldn't be just like soul under a gaslit lamp branding. Like it needs to have more villa esqueness to it, as it were. Um, I know we like we we were messing about with stuff. Um, probably a year or two ago now. And uh, we we printed mugs and shirts with the the Peter Withcler quote on them, and um, you know we 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 liked that, and it it takes it takes it away from just being a soul under a gaslit lamp product, as it were. Right for me, like if we were to really actually sit down and like talk about the logistics of of pushing out merchandise, like you said, of course you got to think about it as a business standpoint. 
that, you know, there has to be sufficient interest. And if we found out that there was sufficient interest and you can tweet me at Villamark PGH, you can, you know, tweet Regan at fine Foy, uh, the under, you know, at Villa lamp on Twitter. If you have any type of interest in, in under a gaslit lamp merchandise, if that'd be something you'd be willing to pay for, just let us know. Just, you know, send a tweet like, Hey guys, I really think this would be really cool or that would be really cool. But like you were talking about, as far as I don't want just a big, like our badge, you know, just like on a, on a big t-shirt, I think that we can get much more creative and we have the tools at our disposal to, to be more creative than that. So I think it would be a thing of a little bit of graphic design and actually talking through what we wanted the, um, you know, shirts, scarves, hoodies, coasters, whatever to look like. But yeah, if there's, if there's sufficient interest, I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to throwing, you know, some money at, at, you know, getting stuff printed and manufactured for our supporters and our fans, because without them, you know, where would we be? And we're forever thankful for that. So if there is interest in that, let us know. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll kick on with some ideas. Exactly that. And I think that's probably the best place to, to end this uh, this week's podcast. I think, you know, we've discussed the women and, and their, their triumph at Villa Park. We've discussed West Ham. Um, there's been, you know, bits and bobs of news. Uh, like Jay Dole Hayes was voted the, the Cheltenham Town Player of the Month. But I think other than that, I think we've covered everything. And uh, we'll we'll have to end here, I think. Um, as always, give us a follow on uh, Facebook and Instagram, uh, forward slash or at under a gaslit lamp. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp if you don't already. And you can keep up to date with all the news, opinion and everything else about Aston Villa and Aston Villa women, as well as their youth teams um, at underagaslitlamp.com. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, guys, and up the villa.